Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have a very interesting innovator who's very much a strong advocate in the area of diversity. And his name is Hamlin Grange, and welcome. Thank you very much, Peter. So glad to be here. <laughs> okay, so let's start out with your education. It's not all in Canada, is it? No, it's not. Um, you know, I, uh, I I went to high school in Toronto, uh, and uh, but I was uh, I went to University of Colorado in Boulder uh, and uh, studied journalism, and graduated with a bachelor of science degree in journalism. I also did some uh, minor studies, uh, sort of a minor degree in uh, African-American history. Uh, did also some studies in uh, comparative literature as well as uh, social movements and, um, and uh, research methodology. So it's a, a good mix, but primarily I graduated as a journalist. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a recovering journalist, if you want to say that. <laughs> So you're bilingual. You speak a little American and a little Canadian. <laughs> I guess you could say that, yes. And I'll tell you, when I went to University of Colorado, I mean, it's uh, it was an interesting transition for me coming from Toronto uh, and, uh, you know, uh, being a black man, a black young student. Uh, I was a student athlete at University of Colorado. I was very fortunate to receive an athletic scholarship to, uh, to be part of their uh, varsity track team. Uh, because I was also a member of Canada's junior um, track and field team. Um, so I was very fortunate. But going to, call, going to the United States and going to school there, I really began to, understood, to understand and to appreciate the impact of culture, how different the American culture is versus the Canadian culture. And even within uh, the American culture, there are different cultures within culture. Uh, if you're living in Colorado, you know, I, I competed in Texas, I competed in Iowa, I competed in Oklahoma, uh, everywhere I went, different cultures in the United States. So it is not just one American culture, as there is not one Canadian culture. But we all speak English, various forms of English nonetheless, but we all speak, we all speak English. <laughs> I thought I recognized your name because I was a track and field official. Oh, and I did the uh, the Olympics in Montreal, the Commonwealth Games in uh, Edmonton. Yes, yes, uh, yes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, okay, yes, yes. so let's get into your uh, work career yeah. after you graduated. Yeah, well, after I graduated, uh, I was very fortunate. Again, you know, it's been my life has been a series of fortunate um, circumstances and unplanned circumstances. Once I graduated, I, I, I received a, um, uh, I got a job offer to work at the Rocky Mountain News in Denver. And, um, and so I, I worked there for a brief stint. Uh, you know, I did the murder, madness, and mayhem beat, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon to 6 o'clock in the morning. So I, I saw my share of uh, dead bodies and, and crime scenes uh, when I was there at Rocky Mountain News. Did that for about less than a year, and I came back to Toronto. Um, to be uh, and to be the managing editor of a community newspaper called Contrast, uh, it's a black community newspaper that was, uh, you know, was well known uh, for its activism uh, and also a different point of view in terms of how it covered stories about 
uh, black Canadians and also black people around the world. So I was there for a while and uh, for, for, for about a year, a year and a half. And uh, eventually ended up uh, being at uh, being at the Toronto Star, the Toronto Star reporter, um, the only black reporter at One Young Street at the time, at the headquarters of the newsroom there. And that had its own particular challenges and, and interesting kind of uh, a situation there. Uh, but I was with the Toronto Star for about three years. And then from there, I, went, I got headhunted in a way, went over to the dark side of television and uh, uh, went over to global television. And, uh, and then from there, after another three years there, um, got snatched up by CBC um, and went to CBC Ottawa, did some work with CBC um, News World, was just starting out um, and did some work for The National as well. And then came back to Toronto, um, officially, but I guess maybe 1989 or something like that, uh, with CBC Toronto. And, uh, and then really, from there on, it was just me in Toronto doing work uh, as a news anchor, a reporter, investigative reporter, as well as an interviewer, had my own program. And so I've been very fortunate uh, to be able to do all those things at, uh, in media. And it has shaped my life in more ways than one, for sure. So all of this led to you starting Diversipro, or was there something before that? Well, this, uh, well, it, I think it all sort of came together, you know, Peter. Um, you know, I, I, I always, I, I always describe being a journalist as, um, you know, you must have a deep sense of curiosity to be a good journalist. I think it's not about trying to save the world. I, I tell my journalism students. You know, when I, you know, I, I taught uh, journalism students at Ryerson uh, on and off on a part-time basis. And, and when I go in the classroom and I ask them, why do you want to be a journalist? And the first time I meet them, you hear the odd ones say they want to change the world. You know, they want to save the world. You know, and I said, if you want to save the world, don't be a journalist. Go be a social worker. <laughs> you know, that's not what our job is. Our job is to um, lift up rocks look what's underneath those rocks, deep curiosity, always finding out. And if finding out and sharing and telling those stories to the world and other people, if that helps to change the world, so be it. Your job is not to save the, not to save the world. It's too big a task. It's, a, it's like trying to boil the ocean, you know? Um, so, you know, um, you know, I, you know I, I left the CBC after many years, uh, but 19... But 1999, I left the CBC after doing all of those things uh, because it was time for me to do something different. I, I felt after a while it just wasn't doing anything of value. Um, and, uh, and I think you should always be thinking about that in, in, your, in, in the work that you do. If at any point you feel you're not doing everything of value, rethink, recalibrate, and think something different. And so I left the CBC at the top of my game, in my own opinion, and, and some of the other opinion as well, a lot of people are surprised when I left the CBC. Um, and I decided to start um, uh, my company, Diversipro. It became Diversipro, but it didn't start out that way. Um, and primarily, it, you know, we started out as a, a production company. It was called Pro Media International. And we wanted to do stories and productions that would really reflect Canada to Canadians, all Canadians. And so, you know, we, the idea was that we would use and use, uh, you know, creators of color, 
uh, people who are disabled, people who are indigenous, to tell stories, uh, to shoot stories, um, and uh, and to do programs that reflect the broad base of Canadians that we felt, I felt, was just underrepresented in mainstream media. Did that for a few years and then quickly realized that what our clients were telling us was that we're really good at telling them how to do stuff. So we, so we started doing training and stopped, stopped doing productions. Uh, and eventually we morphed into Diversipro, the diversity professionals. Uh, and, uh, and in between all of that, we also did um, a thing called Innoversity. Now, Innoversity was, um, I guess the best way you could describe this, a not-for-profit sort of social enterprise where we thought it was really important to create an opportunity where the gatekeepers, the media gatekeepers in this country, could get together with folks who are trying to get into the gate, to get, get through those gates. And so we had an annual conference um, that attracted thousands of people, uh, you know, a year. Um, and uh, we uh, started in about 2000 or 2001, we launched university. And we did the annual creative summit every year until for about 14 or 15 years. Um, but that was money out of my pocket at the end of the day. The broadcasters were some of the sponsors, but after a while, they, there was no, they didn't feel compelled to sponsor uh, this event anymore because the money had dried up. They were no longer compelled by the CRTC to do these kinds of things anymore. And it got to the point where I was taking money out of my pocket. My family was basically bankrolling it. But for us, it was um, our gift to Canadian media. And, and i got to tell you, Peter, if there's one thing that I'm really proud of, besides my two kids, <laughs> okay, my two beautiful uh, daughters, is what we did, my wife and I, Cynthia, did with university. Because we were able to change the media landscape. We were able to give individuals an opportunity to, to get work. And today, every, even today, just a couple of days ago, I was talking to someone who's who's now working within one of the broadcasters. And she said, you know what? I went to university and it was because of university that I'm doing what I'm doing today. And I hear this all the time. So we did have an impact. So all of that stuff to say, Peter, yes, what happened between my career and now all of that stuff, plus everything that I'm doing today under Diversibro. How difficult was it to transition from being a journalist to a business person? Oh my goodness, Peter! Well, you you better than anyone knows that whole thing. You know, it's one thing to be entrepreneurial, okay? It's another thing to execute, isn't it? And uh, the entrepreneur is very conceptual, big picture, big ideas, but you have to be able to put that stuff into action, right? And and for me, that was a challenge, um, and I'm still working on it, to be honest with you. Uh, but you know, um, a lot of people ask me. But didn't you miss it? Didn't you miss not being on television? You know, I missed it for about three months. That's it. <laughs> Suddenly, I was into it. I was, I was doing. I was living my passion. Um, I was doing the things I wanted to do. Uh, meeting people. I think I was much more effective being away from the media than I would have been if I stayed in the media. And so that transition was a challenge for sure. And I had to learn how to be a business. I, I like to learn how to run a business and I'm still learning. Um, as a result of the social justice movement right now, Diversipro is going through unprecedented growth. And uh, 
now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bringing on people, I'm looking at different structures, I'm reorganizing the organization, the company right now. Um, Diversapro is getting a lot larger than, uh, than I thought it could have been in the short space of time. I mean, it's been around 21 years. It's been 21 years in the making, and uh, it's fascinating to see what has happened over those 21 years. It's all come to fruition these past year and a half. It's incredible, just incredible, Peter. So, Hamlin, you're doing consulting, you're doing workshops, you're doing training. Yes. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, what we do, Peter, you know, you know we, we go into organizations and we, we, we help organizations make what we call transformative systemic change, especially around the issues of uh, inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. And we use the term idea because we believe that if you're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion, if you don't center anti-racism, anti-indigenous racism, anti-black racism, anti-Asian racism in that conversation, all you're doing is, you know, the old adage of the Titanic where you need to make change, you're just moving the furniture around. If you're just moving the furniture around, you're not going to make change. And so, so we, do, we do organizational audits. We do individual assessments. We have our own tool that we use uh, that um, is not proprietary to us, but we use that tool to measure how individuals are making sense of cultural differences, because I think that is really absolutely vital if organizations and individuals need to move forward. They need to know how they're making sense of cultural differences, how they're navigating or bridging across cultural differences. So we do individual assessment, we do coaching, we do training, we do workshops, um, we do, we, you know, set, we do surveys, the full, the whole nine yards, uh, we do in order to help organization and leaders, and a lot of leadership development as well that we, we do, Peter. Now you're physically located in Toronto, Hamlet. Yes. Have you considered opening an office in Vancouver or Montreal or other communities? Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because these past, you know, these past year or so, um, you know, it's we're, we're getting clients from across the country. We've always had clients across the country. I've always been very fortunate, you know, uh, besides doing work in, in, in Europe and elsewhere, um, we, we, all, we, we, have, we have associates who are, who are across the country uh, who are connected with us. And so I can turn to an associate that's living in Vancouver, for example, and if I want some work done, I'll ask an associate, are you available? They're on it. Um, the same thing in Ottawa, uh, same thing in uh, Eastern Canada. Um, but, you know, it's something to think about, uh, whether or not it's time for us to open up a branch office elsewhere. Um, that's, that's probably down the road, I think, in terms of our, my thinking. Uh, but you have to have a growth strategy in place to do that, right? Um, you've got to know exactly what you do because... Just because things are looking really great now, things could change in a year from now. And so you have to be very mindful of that. But uh, even though we don't have a branch office in all these different centers, um, we do work in all of these centers. We're, do we're doing work right now in British Columbia. Um, we're doing work across Ontario. Um, we've got uh, all sorts of different uh, clients in different sectors. So we're very fortunate in that way. One of the terms that we use when we're helping folks to expand, we use the term social franchise. Hmm. Which Tell is, me a bit about that. Yeah. Well, uh, for example, we had a, a group called 
the Raw Carrot, hmm. which is a group that uh, operate out of a church in Paris and Ontario. And what they do, is they have people on ODSP, disability, and they make eight soups and breadsticks. Hmm. So I push them a little bit. And now they have two social franchises in other locations in Ontario. And they're looking to expand that across Ontario. That's great. So I'm just saying it's something to consider in terms of terminology, using the term social franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we have an idea of what you do. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to be three years from today? <laughs> oh boy, what, you know I don't know, I don't know where we're going to be three years from today. But here's what I, here's where I'd like us to be three years from today. Um, it may be a very different question. Um, I, I'd like us to be um, larger. Um, I like us to be. I like diverse approach uh, to be truly the trusted advisor to a larger group of, uh, of clients um, across the country. Um, I, uh, we've already, we're about to launch um, a, a tool um, that's, that I think, um, I think will be a game changer in this country in terms of how organizations can manage, track, and evaluate how they're actually engaging with diversity, inclusion, equity, and anti-racism initiatives in their organizations. Um, we're hoping to launch that in a, in a few months or so. So I'd like to see that to be even bigger uh, three years from now. And uh, three years from now, um, three years from now, I'd like to sort of just do keynote addresses and don't do any of the heavy lifting. Um, I'd like to have uh, some, some more senior consultants who are taking over, and I'm just going to be the face of the organization. Um, that's what I'd like to, that's what I'd like to diverse pro to be. And it'd be even more impactful than we are today. But you're not going to retire, I hope. I don't, I don't think I'll retire. My, my daughter asked me that the other day, you know, she, she's, uh, she lives and works in Seattle, um, with, uh, with one, with one of the big, uh, one of the big firms there. And, uh, she said, you're not going to retire, are you dad? You know, I said, you know, as long as I keep, unless, as long as I like doing what I'm doing, <laughs> You know, I don't think I'll retire. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing until once I stop, yeah, once I lose the passion, that's when I think I'll step back. But for now, I can't even think about it. Okay. Let's talk, Hamlin, about the importance of partnerships. Yes, yes. So how do they make a difference to uh, Diversipro? Well, you know, I think think the future, um, especially for the work that we do, um, is it around partnerships? Um, we, we have an associate kind of model where um, we have associates that are involved with us, um, people with um, particular expertise, and uh, we go to them depending on what the project requires. So there's a partnership relationship there as well. Um, there's also the partnership with, with other companies. Um, in fact, lately, um, a couple of firms have reached out to us to partner with them to, um, to do to do work because we have a particular expertise that they don't have. So I think partnership is a, is a way of the future. Um, no one, I don't think no one company, um, unless you're huge, can have all those pieces in house. Um, you're a small company like mine. 
I think partnerships are important. But but it's a but it's a caveat to all of this, Peter. I think my motto has always been: I like to work with people who have similar values but different strengths, and that's really important for me. And whenever I've strayed away from that mantra and work with a partner or an associate that may not necessarily share my values. And my value, my personal values are my are the corporate values. It's on our web, it's on our website. Whenever I stray away from that, things don't end well. And so for me, it's always a reminder. Similar values, different strengths. And that's what I look for in partnerships, whether it's an associate or working with a company or even working with a client. Those are also important for me. So my cousin Gordon Crossy. Oh, you know Gordon. He's my cousin. <laughs> Wow, I know Gordon. Gordon's a great guy. I love Gordon. Well, I have different feelings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but one of the organizations he recommended was Black North. Do you know those folks at all? I, 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 I don't know them all personally, but I know of them. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah that, that's the Black North Initiative, yes. Okay. So in terms of uh, communities of faith, and banks. Mm -hmm. Have you done any work in those sectors? Well, I've done, um, well, I mean, the, in terms of faith groups, um, I'm very much involved, very much involved in my church, uh, St. Thomas Anglican Church in Brooklyn, Ontario. Um, I've done um, work with the banks, um, you know, not, not a deep amount of work. I uh, did some work some years ago um, with, a couple, with, a, with one of the major banks but haven't done a lot of work with them, um, have engagements with a few of them, uh, but not in any deep way. The banks, you know, they've been at this uh, diversity work for quite a long time. Uh, very, um, uh, very mature programs within, and they have a lot of in-house talent. So they very rarely will reach out to an outside consultant to come in to do work. Um, am I open to working with the banks? Absolutely. Um, can we do the work? Absolutely, we can do the work as well. And we've done it before in the past, yeah. Well, I spent 27 years at CIBC. Okay. And yeah. uh, then I taught at Seneca and Centennial, so. Yeah, no, good institutions, yeah. I have a little experience there. So in terms of the people listening, what would be your ask of the people listening? Well... That's that, that that that's that's um that's what I call it from a from a journalist standpoint a hardworking question, and it's a good one. The, the ask I have of people listening, especially in today's world, uh, we are in the middle of not just a health pandemic called COVID, we're also in the middle of what I call a social justice, or for some people, social injustice pandemic, and so my ask to your listeners is for you to, you know, the, the analogy I use oftentimes when I speak to leaders about what's happening, it's like we know about peripheral vision, right? If you look straight ahead and you can see the movement just out of the corner of your eye, right? It's peripheral vision and there's something happening there. And we can, we can go ahead, keeping our head straight ahead and just ignore those little things fluttering on the edges. We can ignore it, okay? And we can live our lives knowing it's there, but it's not really, doesn't affect me, it's okay. 
I mean, don't pay attention until those little fluttering things move further and closer into our vision. By the time it's right in front of us, so much time has passed. So much damage has been done to people, to places, that it's too late. My ask to people is turn and look at those things just outside of your awareness, those peripheral vision. Because I think if we had done that, if we had done more of that, we wouldn't be in the place where we are right now, where we saw George Floyd breathing his last breath, you know, on television. You know, we wouldn't have seen some of the other things that have happened in Canada and around the world that get people marginalized. So my ask for your listeners is to just don't keep looking straight ahead and ignore the things that's on your periphery vision. Turn and look at it. As uncomfortable as it may feel for you, but at least look at it and try to understand what it is and what it means to you. That's my ask. Okay. So what's your website, Hamlin? So website is pretty it. simple, diversipro.com, D-I-V-E-R-S-I-P-R-O.com. That's it. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Well, thank you for having me, Peter. I really appreciate it.